praise God. You know, um, I want to share some things with you this morning really practically. Um, not only am I going to be handing out to you kind of the, the, the family names and stuff so that we can begin to pray for one another. I mean, God has such a destiny over this body. He has such a destiny over this house. He has such a destiny over every one of you. Every one of you, if you've been called to be a part of this foundation, you are handpicked and you are special. And, and I think sometimes whenever you're part of a startup, whenever you're part of something new, you've got to be special. You're just special ed. You know, you gotta, you know, because I mean, you gotta be a little crazy. You gotta be a little crazy not to, you know, to be called into something uh, in its early stages. Amen. But I love that. I personally love starting things. Starting things to me is exciting. Yeah, it's messy. Yeah, it's crazy, but it's, it's exciting. Um, But one of the things that, you know, as we're, as we're establishing the foundation here and building upon what God is wanting to build, you have to realize that what he's building is a body, okay? He's not building a Sunday morning service, okay? He's not building um, small group programs. He's not building outreach initiatives. He's not building a ministry, okay? God's not building Prayer Mountain. God's building a body. He's building people. He's building relationships because a body is connected through relationships. Okay, now Jesus, by the way, picks where you connect. I know this is a real surprise to everybody, especially in this region. You know, I I observe a lot of things. Um, God has given me, I talked to Nate about it. You know, Nate's my personal wholeness coach. If you hadn't had your sessions with Nate, Recently, get your sessions with Nate. I had two this month, so I'm probably on about my 20th one. And, you know, I bring things into there, um, and we talk through things. And, you know, Nate helps me to to really kind of cut through sometimes what is discern what I'm actually discerning. Because <laughs> sometimes I'm thinking I need to get delivered from something, and he's like, no, that's actually the heart of Jesus. <laughs> okay? And I'm like, well, that is wild, you know, and, and, and I see a lot of things. I see a lot of things when I, um, just through the connections that I have and through um, just the observations. There's, a, you know, an apostolic gift on my life, and that comes with a particular assignment in the body of Christ. And um, we have a massive relational problem in this region. We have a massive relational problem. We have a massive covenant-breaking spirit problem in this region. And we're big enough region, and we have enough great ministries in this region that we can hide our problem. And we can go hide, and we can disconnect, and we can go somewhere else, and we can get ourselves busy in ministry, and we can start over again ten times. And, um, And we can actually project all of the mess on everybody else, but when everybody's projecting the mess onto everybody else... No one's realizing that it's a corporate problem that we all are a problem that we're all a part of. We're all a part of it. I'm raising my hand. Okay, I'm not immune. I'm not the solution person that stands up on some big mountain having it all worked out and trying to preach to everybody else. Because why? I'm a part of the body, and I'm not the head. There's one head. His name is Jesus, <laughs> and so He's the one that's the, that's got it together. Amen. And so. I just know if we're going to solve the problem in the region, we're going to have to solve the problem individually. We've got to start with the one person on the planet we can control, which is ourselves. It's called the fruit of self-control. It's a government. It's a kingdom of free individuals. We're free. We're so free. And you know what we've been freed to do? We've been freed to love. We've been freed to choose the ways of love. And guess what? We miss it every single day. We miss it every single day. We are learning to love. If you have gotten Danny Silk's book, I decided I'm going to go ahead and order some this week, but how many of you have actually reached out and actually picked up the book, the Keep Your Love Love book? Okay, I'd really like everyone to grab it, okay? Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk. Danny Silk is an amazing, amazing pastor out of Bethel. He's um, got such a revelation of health and relationships. But, you know, I'm one of these people that I don't read books from the beginning to the end. You know, I just don't have the, I don't know. I just, I, 
I just, just bounce. And I usually am bouncing between 10 books at a time, too. Um, I just process that way. I, I've always been that way, and it's so fun. I love being that way. So don't try to change me. But um, <laughs> it works for me. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I skip ahead. And um, I, the last chapter in Keep Your Love On is... I forget the name of the chapter I could look, but it doesn't matter. It's really about the real lesson in life. The real lesson in life. (laughs) Like when when our life is over, when we've we've finished our race, right, and we're standing before Jesus, all right, there's a lot of questions we think that maybe he's going to ask us. Maybe Maybe you've actually, I've actually imagined that. I've actually written a eulogy. I encourage you to do that. If you've never written your own eulogy, you know, see the end from the beginning. And it's, it's for me, it's a prophecy over my life. It's, it's what people are going to say about me when I'm cremated. I am going to be cremated. <laughs> Amen. And when I'm up there in my little urn, right, when I'm up there in my little urn, people get up on the mic to talk about my life, this is what they're going to say. Right? This is, this is what I, this is, I've done that. I encourage everyone to do that. You have to have an aim. You know? And Danny says this, did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? Did you learn to love? And let me say this, we do not start out on an even scale. Okay? So it's not like everybody had the exact same upbringing with the exact same loving parents and the exact same experiences. Some of us live, has lived, have lived through hell. Some of us have not lived through so much hell, a little bit of hell. Some of us thought we were in heaven when we're actually we're in hell. Um, I mean, you know, all kinds of gamut. I mean, there's just the gamut of human experience, you know. And so it's not like, you know, in, in the natural when you go to school, like LSR to preschool and stuff, everybody's kind of on the same level, you know. They're learning their ABCs and they're spelling their name. And, you know, it's kind of like, whoo, well, the, you know, the university of love <laughs> Man, you just you just start in all different places. There's all kinds of classes, and man, you repeat some of them 50 times. Some of us we don't even know what class we're in. You know, we're just clueless. We're clueless. But the the real school of life is just the cross. It is the purpose of life. God is love. His character is love. His nature is here's the the truth. We miss it every day. We just do. We miss it every day. We're not loving perfectly. We're not feeling loved. We're just, and let me say this. This is the gospel. The gospel is God so loved. God so loved. You can stop the John 3.16, just part A. God so loved. God so loved that he did all this stuff. And the cross is the greatest expression of love ever expressed. It was literally coming into a hopeless planet, a disgusting planet, a humanity broken. And and it says that like sheep, we went astray. Everyone to their own way. Every one of us lost. Every one of us astray, wandering. Where? In our own way. Love doesn't seek its own. But everybody was seeking its other. Everybody in its own little world. And Jesus came down into the self-centered planet and took selfishness on. So he's the solution and he's the Oh, the, the, the professor. Holy Spirit's our tutor. He's the one that's coaching us in this. Amen? And, you know, one of the things that we have to do if we're really going to take on our, if we're going to begin to operate in self-control. You know, self-control is like the bookend on one end of the bookshelf for all the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. You can't operate in any of the fruit without self-control. Self-control is like the foundation of all of the other fruit, right? Because if you can't control yourself, you're not going to be able to um, resist anything, right? Your emotions are going to rule the roost of the day. 
but self-control says, no, I'm responsible for my emotions. And it starts to set us into a place where we have a separateness from the rest of humanity. We have to recognize that that separateness serves the purpose of connection. The purpose of separateness is so that you can connect (laughs) in a healthy way. And without separateness, you will never, never connect in a healthy way because you're still looking for your own identity. All right? So separateness and bondedness are are the primary foundational components of wholeness. And all of us, from time we are born, you're learning these. So depending on, you know, that's why that bonding, oh my goodness, there's all kinds of parenting books out there and all things about, you know, the bonded parent, you know, and all this stuff. You have, you have parents that literally strap their, it's called attachment parenting, they strap their kids to themselves with these, whatever they're called. Obviously, I wasn't an attachment parent. And they literally are with their children 24-7. They go to the bathroom with their children. They sleep with their children. They never, ever detach from their children. You can do research on it, attachment parenting. And it was a, it was a, a reaction to uh, really the discovery that bonding is a prime, primal need in people's lives. A primal need. And a primal need, by the way, is almost at a animalistic level. Do you understand? It's primal, primate. It's, it's animalistic in the fact that this is a need that you need like oxygen. <laughs> you know, you, there's, a, there's a need to bond. And when there's an interruption in the bonding, babies die. They literally die. I've been to Romania um, on mission trips before, and Romania is a is a country of orphans where there was a epidemic of of abandonment in that country and poverty, extreme, all kinds of extreme circumstances. And there was a, I mean, this was years ago, maybe in the '90s. Matter of fact, it came out about all of the orphanages in Romania and the conditions in these orphanages. I mean, they were horrendous. They had babies chained up in cribs. And, I mean, it was they were literally like animals, de- defecated on themselves. And, I mean, talk about hor- horrific. And so now, you know, I know Galen went with me to that trip. And now these, these, these kids that were, you know, raised in those conditions are adults. And the dysfunction that they deal with and the brokenness that they deal with because they grew up in stuff like that. Um, why? Because the, the bonding, the attachment need was never met. You know, but then as you grow, you go into the phase of separateness, and you, you progressively separate from that initial bond as you grow. And, and healthy families, attachments, that's done progressively as the maturity of the child In unhealthy situations, you get, you know, you get in some situations, it's funny, um, if you go and, and minister in real poverty-stricken areas, in, in, in ghettos and in the inner cities, um, you know, I spent 10 years in an African-American church where a primary, my primary outreach was in the inner city in the south side of Chicago. And, you know, we had a lot of people that would come to Christ that came from that kind of a background. And, you know, those kids, you know, at four years old, they get up by themselves, they get themselves dressed, they give themselves breakfast, and they get themselves where they need to go at four years old. You know, it's amazing when you have a lack of a parental figure, how independent and mature those kids come pre- become prematurely. Um, so these ideas of bondedness and separateness, these are, these are, these are primal skills and needs and, and, and ways of being that human beings um, are designed to, to, to function in. But many of us have never been um, not only just healed, honestly, of our own lack of nurturing or our uh, over-controlling this or whatever, just the things of our past, that we, we have a lot of dysfunction in this area, right? And so as God walks us into wholeness, there's just a lot we have to learn. We have to learn. 
You know, I, I wanted to talk specifically because, see, the body of Christ is supposed to be so attractive. You know, the body of Christ is supposed to be the place you go when you've got a problem. You know, and as much as we would love to just get all healed up in our prayer closet by ourselves, God has anointed the body, okay, to bring health and wholeness. And it happens in the context of relationship. Now, let me tell you this, it happens in the context of safety. You know, Nathan Blouse's ministry is called The Safe Place. And if you watch his little opening video, he says, the beginning of wholeness happens in safety. So everyone on the planet needs a safe place to heal. And being by yourself, while that may be safe, it's not the kingdom. Because the kingdom is not an isolated place. It's not a place of isolation where we're all alone. Matter of fact, I remember the scripture that ministered to me all so many years ago when he says that he set the solitary in families. You know, many of you know my background. I'm, I'm literally adopted. I was three days old when I was adopted. I had three dads by the time I was three. My mom was raised by her grandmother. She was an orphan as well, uh, abandoned by an alcoholic mother. And so, um, you know, I, along my journey, have had a lot that I've had to confront, a lot that I've had to own, a lot that I've had to walk through the process with the Lord of rewiring so that I could recognize this is even what love looks like. You know, when you don't have it modeled in your life, <laughs> it's, it's extremely hard to model what you haven't had modeled. You know, and then you, then you become a parent, you get married, and, you know, just life happens, and the next thing you know, you recognize, man, I need some skills here. If I'm going to be married and I stay married, <laughs> right? If I don't want the same patterns that happen in my own life repeating generationally in my kids, like we, we don't want it, but you know that that's actually typically what happens as much as you don't want to do the same things to, to others that happen to you. Literally without healing, that's what you end up doing. And you hate it, you know? And and it's, it's it, I'm painting like such a, Dismal, dismal picture, but it's it's just, the, I'm just wanting to, to point out that we are in need of a Savior, number one, and we're in need of grace, number two, and we're in need of three, um, deciding, I just want to say this, that we're going to be that. Like, we have to paint a picture of where we're going, and we have to, this is not easy. Do you know what? Becoming love, who said becoming love is easy? All right? It was something Jesus did to us. But how many of you know we've got to agree with it up here? We've got to agree with it up here. We, Jesus made us perfect. He made us complete. We are full of love, full of joy, full of peace, full of the fruit of the Spirit. But all of that will be trapped inside of us. It'll be like Jesus trapped in a prison. Right? He'd be one of those walnuts just trapped in there, unable to express himself because of our, the strongholds of our mind. We've locked him up into a prison of our own thinking. You know, I remember that Pearl Jam song. I think it was Pearl Jam. I created my own prison. I think it was a Pearl Jam song. I, I think. I don't know. I might have been high. But um, one of those one of those things, anyway. But, um, you know, today I wanted to talk about what safety looks like. Okay? I wanted to talk about what it looks like to be safe. All right? You know, because I'm on this mission with the Lord, and I'm seeing a lot of things, he sets me up all the time for little lessons in this, little mini lessons in this, little um, exposing of things. I get to see things. I run into people. I hear things. Dear God, I wish I hadn't. I don't hear. I wish I didn't hear half the things I hear. How do I even find? I, I ask, like, how do I end up in this? And let me say that. That may be you, too. All right, that may be you as well. You may be one of these people that always seems to be, you know, running across these things. That's because you're a part of the solution. You're a part of the solution. And I'm asking us today to wake up, to wake up to the battle, to wake up to the battle for our destinies, to wake up for the battle, not just for us individually, because I'm telling you, this is how the enemy steals from us. He steals from us through relationships, through people, 
through situations. He's still through sickness and other stuff too, but, you know, I don't know about you, but emotional pain is some of the most painful pain, you know, that you can experience. And do you know what I'm saying? Like physical pain is painful, but emotional pain is debilitating. Do you know that this region has one of the highest suicide rates per capita of any city and region in the nation? There's a spirit of hopelessness. And I'm not sharing these things because let me tell you this, I don't have a critical spirit about the body of Christ in this region. I can't always say that I felt that way. So what is a safe person? What's a safe person? If we're going to be safe people, what is a safe person? Well, number one, safe people cover. They do not expose. Okay? Now, please know that I'm saying this. I am not directing at this at any single person in here any more than I'm directing it to Shalisa Menace. Please know that I am, I totally feel like the Apostle Paul. I am the chief among the sinners. Because see, the more brokenness you have in your background, typically the more you're going to act out, out of that brokenness. You know, typically the more healing that's needed, you're probably going to be one of the ones that have created a whole bunch of coping mechanisms to actually deal with the brokenness. So I please know I'm doing this for all of us and that we're on a journey together into wholeness. Amen? But here's the deal. The reason why love has to cover is because we have to have a safe place to evaluate ourselves. We have to have a safe place to fail. We have to have a safe place to blow it big time. Do you understand? Because you, you can't, if you can't blow it big time, you can't see your problem. And I'm telling you, so much in the body of Christ wants to just hide sin, just wants to cover it up, wants to control sin. We want to control sin. Sin is not designed to be controlled. It's designed to be extracted. You know, that's why people that go to AA and don't drink are not free. Just because you're sober doesn't mean you're free. I'm not saying that it's better to be, I'm not saying anything about sobriety is better than drunkenness. Absolutely. But let's be very clear. Being drunken in your heart is still drunken. (laughs) <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Jesus said, if you look at a woman with less in your eye, you're an adulterer. So it's the condition of the heart that God's after, not the behavior. It's not the outward behavior that he's after. And here's the deal. When we are not free to sin, we're not free to not sin. When we are not free to sin, when we are not free to not sin. If I'm not free to get hammered, that I'm not free to not get hammered. It's not a choice that I'm making. You know, I'm not making, it's not out of a free place. Now let me tell you, this is risky. This is risky, this is messy. This is messy. Christianity is designed, it is not supposed to be manure free. Did you know that manure-free cows, this is what Danny talks about in, in, t- in chapter 10. He's like, you know, if you, if you were, it's the people business. Christianity's the people business. Jesus is in the people business. And guess what? People poop. <laughs> and if they don't, they better get to the emergency room. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They need emergency surgery. <laughs> But, you know, cows, and the cow, that's what he uses, cows. But, you know, he's like, if you went to a cow pasture and there wasn't any manure, are you sure you're in a cow pasture? Right? People are messy. Real relationships are messy. That's why, I, that's why sometimes I, I, you know, I have very good friends that are very successful in the wedding photography business. Wedding photographers do not paint a picture of reality. Okay? I, and then... 
They do not. And then if you, you know, sometimes people on Facebook and their Facebook persona of their life is so perfect and so romantic and so, you know, like a movie. It's like a, like a romantic comedy. You know what? Real life, real marriage is not a romantic comedy. And we're doing a disservice to this generation to try to tell them that this is what love looks like. Love does not look like a picnic with feeding each other grapes and, you know, longingly looking into each other's eyes with romantic love for 60 years. It just doesn't. <laughs> you know, and, and but we have this idea, we've romanticized, you know what, we have the same idea about the body of Christ. Where we have this romantic idea that the body of Christ is is something that it's not. Do you know that, that we are just as broken as the world? We are just as broken. The world is not any more broken than the body of Christ. It is not more broken. We just know Jesus. We know Jesus. That's the difference. We have relationship with Jesus. We have a righteousness that is not our own. We have been delivered of trying to be good supposedly. But when we, we're trying to be good and then we're expecting everybody else to be good, we have created an inauthentic, an inauthentic culture and an inauthentic representation of what it means to be a Christian. And we have made this a list, it's a reformation, clean it up program where you've actually got to get your act together to even be in church. That is crazy. We put we put expectations on our leaders that are completely impossible. Our leaders are not any more perfect than anybody else. And if you think that, you're deceived. You're absolutely deceived if you think you become a leader because you're perfect. Or somehow you've arrived. Or somehow you've even re reached a level of maturity. You, it's grace and it's favor. And yes, there's a level of wholeness, hopefully, that you've achieved. But let me tell you, if that's got to keep you in position, then you're setting up to fail. We are in the region of Ted Haggard, for God's sake. It's the elephant in the room that no one talks about. It's the, it's the reason I was sent here. Did you know? I did. I was called, called, called the month he fell. Had one little book on my bookshelf from Ted Haggard. I didn't know Ted Haggard from Merle Haggard. I mean... <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I just, I mean, I didn't know anything. I, re I had one book called Primary Purpose, which is a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of unity in the body of Christ. It's a masterpiece of how evangelism and unity and, and wanting greatness for your other churches and not just your own. It's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. When you read it, you know exactly why it was targeted by the enemy. You absolutely look at what that man carried and you thought, well, absolutely. It was only a matter of time. And I'm not here to criticize anyone else more than I would criticize myself. I'm not saying I would have handled it any better. I don't know what I would have done. I'm not those people. I am not the judge. I am not the judge. <laughs> I am totally not the judge. I recognize that everybody's dealing with the deck that they've been handed and sometimes we just don't do great. I'm not trying to judge it, but I do know there's a great destiny on this region. And I know I was sent to be a part of that. And you know what? It's not just about signs and wonders. And it's not just about the presence of God. It's absolutely about signs and wonders. And it's absolutely about the presence of God. It's absolutely about all of those things. Because the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's absolutely about power. But it's the power to bring wholeness. Amen. The purpose of signs and wonders is to bring wholeness. The purpose of a miracle is to bring wholeness to someone's life. It is not God just exuding his power because he like, he's power hungry. And he wants you to worship him because he's powerful. He wants you to worship him because he's merciful. We fall down and worship him because of the way he loves. Did you know that's why we worship? because of the way he loves us, because of the dignity that he's restored to us, because of the way he makes us feel, the way he encourages, 
the way that he loves causes us to worship and bow down. That is the motivation for our worship. And if it's not the motivation for your worship, then you're worshiping out of fear. Because there's only two spirits, love and fear. And love casts one out. And so becoming a safe person, the first step in coming to a, becoming a safe person is coming to terms with your own brokenness and just your own never-arrivingness. Now, this is not an anti-message to righteousness. Okay, I am not, I am probably, even though I'm not preaching it today, I mean, and I'm not being arrogant at all, I have a massive revelation of righteousness. I have a massive revelation of the finished work of the cross. I have a massive revelation of what it means that I'm inside of Christ and that I'm finished and that I am righteous because of the cross and my belief in that, not based on any other virtue that I ever had or ever will have. It is a gift. It is something that I inherited in the new birth inside of Christ. I am righteous by birth. I am righteous, and it is solid. It is finished. It never changes. I don't become unrighteous based on my behavior. It was a. It is a finished act, and it is the way that I am. 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 So when I say I'm coming to terms with my brokenness, okay. Now, how can I be righteous and broken at the same time? How can I be righteous? Because let me tell you, there are people that tell you you're already inner healed and. I mean, my dear John Crotter, I mean, you read his book, Mystical Union. I love John. And one of these days, I'll get to sit down and have a great conversation with John Crowder about the process of mind renewal. And I don't think we'll probably end up that far apart, but it's hard to tell based upon some of the ways that he comes across and, and the, his lack of support for inner healing. I hate the word inner healing, I, I, but there's not a better one that I've come up with yet. You know, I don't have one that describes it. It's an emotional healing. It's emotional maturity. It's EQ. It's, it's the ability to um, think and have mental health. Mental health is a type of health. Mental healing might be better. You know, mental health is real. When we have psychotic problems in the, the natural, you go to psychiatrists and psychologists and those things. They're, they're, they're in the area of mental health, which is emotional health. And your mental health affects your physical health, affects every area of your life. And while Jesus came for our mental health, our mental health was not established in the new birth. You have to realize we didn't just all of a sudden have this, we have access to the mind of Christ, but our, our mind was not immediately converted, bam, into the mind of Christ. Right? In 1 Corinthians 13, it says that when the perfect comes, we'll be fully known We'll fully know even as we're known. We see in part. We prophesy in part. There is a thinking part of us and a mental part of us that has yet to be renewed. We have to put on Christ. We have to renew our thinking. Mind renewal is the Christian life. And so, um, but we have to, in order to become a safe person, we have to come to terms with the fact that, yes, we have a mind that needs to be renewed. And, oh, by the way, my mind and my mind renewal process, I can't judge anybody else's. And everybody's going through it in the body of Christ. Everyone's going through a mind renewal process. And you never arrive I mean, I know people would say you never arrive. I'm not saying that you can't arrive to the place where, man, you look so much like Jesus. It's amazing. But Jesus is bigger than that. It's inexhaustible treasures. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, it's eternity. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that when we see him, we'll be like him. That we'll be changed in an instant. <laughs> you know? Um, but in this life, we're, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. So you just come to the terms that you have brokenness in your life. The moment you start to think that you don't, you're deceived. And you, you, you're potentially becoming a Pharisee. 
you're, you're, you're opening the door to a religious spirit, which the religious spirit is rooted in judgment. It functions. The backbone of religion is judgment. The backbone of religion, the nerve center of religion, came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's a knowledge of good and a knowledge of evil that belongs to you apart from God. So the moment you leave that place of humility and feel that you've arrived or that you are in a place, you know, that's why Jesus taught us, hey, before you're going to try to take a splinter out of somebody else's eye, you better recognize there's a big old fat log in your own. And you probably aren't going to be able to see that splinter very good looking through that big old log. So take that log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the splinter. And let me tell you that, when you take the log out of your own eye, here's what you do. First of all, you end up worshiping because it's actually Jesus that takes the log out. And you start to realize that apart from him, that log was going to be there that whole time. There was no hope to get that log out on your own. Because how can you even see the log if it's blocking your vision? How can you perform eye surgery on yourself? You know? So it's going to be the great physician that's going to have to perform eye surgery on you in the first place. Right? And so he's going to, but you know what happens in that process? You are humbled. You are humbled. You're humbled. You're humbled by the recognition that man, without him, you really are nothing. And that even the strongest flesh and the strongest, your own strongest discipline, your your own will, all of these things that you possess in your own strength ultimately amount to nothing ultimately amount to nothing. That we literally, only the Holy Spirit can transform a heart. We have to settle that. Only the Holy Spirit can transform a heart. Heart transformation is an inside-out business. Period. Period. Even if you want to fix something, you can't fix it. goes back to what Kevin was praying, complete dependency. And the process, I believe, of mind renewal is also a process of becoming dependent. And so just staying in that place, the brokenness is about, to me, about dependentness, dependent, dependency, it's about humility, it's about um, uh, just recognizing that we're all prone. You know, we're all prone. (laughs) And I I think maybe it looks different in other people than it looks in us. Maybe we don't have a drinking problem. Maybe we don't have a problem with our sexual situations or our finances, or we don't have a problem with, but we got a problem somewhere with our tongue or our anger or our jealousy or our fear or there's something in there that God is still working on. Right? So the first step to becoming a safe person is just recognizing that you're not any better off. And that ultimately when you cover, it's a covering for the body. It's a covering for everyone. It's a covering for us all. It's a a protection. It's a protection that lets people start to be themselves so that we can come out of hiding. I've been listening to this new Stephanie, her, I forget her new name, Gretzel, Gretzel, something, Retzinger, something, Frizzell, that's what she was before she was married. Beautiful new album called The Undoing. I've been listening to it over and over again. And there's a wonderful song um, on there called Out of Hiding. And it starts out, come out of hiding and run into me. You don't have to hide what I already see. You know, and the thing that we love, one of the things we love about Jesus is there's no condemnation for being broken. There's no condemnation for needing repair. There's no conversation for needing a physician. Right? And so it becomes a safe place just to be Um, 
you know, I, I've been I've been a strange bird for a long time. I remember way back in my late twenties when I was um, first going into therapy, and I was in the middle of a divorce, and I was living with my friends, Neil and Katie. Um, they were college friends of mine, and Katie and I we, we would we would fancy ourselves kind of like armchair psychologists. You know, we could you know we could just we could we could counsel, we could we could analyze. And we could see each other, and we could see everybody else, and we could see their narcissism, and we could see their dysfunction, and we would just analyze why people were the way they were. You know, we just had this amazing ability to, like, be psychologists, you know, at least in our own minds. We were, we were excellent at it. And we, we both had this, like, hunger for, you know, like, self-help and, and um, just all that stuff. You know, we didn't know any better. We were Christian in theory. Um, and, but my point is, is that, you know, I've always had this, this fascination with human behavior and why people do the way, what, what we do and why we react the way we react and why we manifest this kind of thing versus this kind of thing. Um, I'm saying that is that to a degree, we all have that to a degree. We're always analyzing other people. And to a degree, we get a form of self-satisfaction from that. And to a degree, we get a type of self-esteem from that. Because if I can be better than everybody else, then maybe I'm worth something. As long as I'm not the most broken person in the room, on the planet, or the most broken person in the room, maybe I'm okay. But the gospel says you're okay just the way you are. That you're not going to be more loved when you change. You're not, I'm not going to love you more after you're fixed. After you start acting right, then I'll love you. No, I love you into acting right. You know? And it's amazing. It's amazing how in the atmosphere of love and acceptance and safety, people begin to change. We just begin to change. And let me tell you, that's, I personally believe, why Jesus is so adamant about forgiveness. And I believe that that's why he's so adamant about the whole cross being about forgiveness. Because forgiveness, so first of all, I would say, recognizing everybody's broken, including me. Recognizing I've got a log in my eye. Maybe I'm not qualified to help get that splinter out of theirs. You know, not saying that Jesus can't prophesy through me or give something to me to minister to someone, but I'm a conduit. I'm not the source of transformation. Big difference, right? And then the second thing I was just saying, so, you know, recognizing that brokenness and being that place is is a foundation for being a safe person. Secondly, I've got to be a person that not only covers but that forgives because forgiveness also makes us safe. And I'll say this, in the context of any marriage, if it's going to last, forgiveness is going to have to be one of the pillars. And I'm going to say this, in any relationship, in any relationship, if you're going to have a long-term relationship with anyone, it's going to be tested. The connection will be tested. You will not have a conflict. There's no such thing as a conflict-free relationship. There is no such thing. Conflict is a normal part of people. People, we're different. We see differently. We have different feelings, different perspectives. We're different. Nobody has to be alike. Agreement doesn't mean alike. (laughs) Right? Unity doesn't mean alike. And so forgiveness protects the bond of unity. Because here's the truth. The unity's already been accomplished. We're not trying to become united any more than two married people are trying to unite. They're protecting their unity. And forgiveness is what does that. Forgiveness protects unity. Forgiveness protects relationship. And let me say this, it protects your heart. It protects our heart. You know, our team, um, our inner healing team, Catherine's at a wedding this morning, her and Brian had a niece or was getting married today, and it's her cousin. Um, 
but you know, we've been going every month. You know, Judy's been a part of that. Deb's been a part of that. You know, Galen's been a part of that. Uh, Kev, different people have been a part of that. But you know, Nathan's been coming out once a month, every month since January, and training a core team of people on the methodologies of what he does. He has one whole session that he, I mean, one whole three and a half hour teaching that he does on forgiveness. Um, because when you look at the prayer guide that Nate uses, I mean, Nate is a, a really a wholeness coach. He's amazing. But um, what I really love about it is that he has a real revelation on how all pain originates, how all emotional pain originates. And there's a prayer guide about how the, there's three areas where you're going to find pain in people's lives. And if you want to get to the source of pain in people's lives, there's a guide, there's a, there's a, a framework around how pain originates and how it's healed by the Lord. Now, we facilitate working within this framework to help people come into, man, healing of pain. That's what we're doing. We're healing pain. That's, what, that's what's happening. We're healing pain. That's what Nathan does. That's what this group does. We're healing pain. And much of this pain is so hidden, so buried. We've repressed it. Our brains do this automatically. Did you know God made us so fearfully and wonderfully made that if something is too painful, we will forget it? And so our little brains and our little bodies, we're survivors by function. And so in this prayer guide, there's a whole section on here just called the pain of unforgiveness. And did you know a, the process of forgiveness literally removes pain? It literally heals pain. Unforgiveness holds pain in its place. It's like the, it's like the, the nucleus of the disease. Unforgiveness literally keeps that right there infected. It's the source of infection. Okay. Now, forgiveness may not be all that's required because sometimes the pain is captured actually in the memory, meaning the actual experience inflicted pain. Now, let me tell you this. Do you know that it wasn't the experience that actually caused the pain? It wasn't. It was what we made the experience mean. It was the judgment that we had about the experience that caused it pain, caused pain. There were things that we believed that are not true about ourselves, about others. Now, I know we make, it's called our story. I get that we all believe our story is exactly what happened and this is what it is and this is what da 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 da. But I can tell you from my own personal journey and from the journey of being in this business for years and years and years and years, that when Jesus comes, he rewrites stories. Amen. He rewrites stories, and he, he, he reformats hard drives, and he transforms memories, and he changes experiences. And pain leaves. Now, I'm saying all of this in this context of the second thing about forgiveness. But to become a safe person, you've got to be a person that people know if they miss it, they're going to be forgiven. Because I'll tell you what, people will not open up their heart to you, nor will you open up your heart to someone else if you feel that they are not a part, that you've got to, because you, otherwise you're going to have a facade. You're going to have to have a facade that you're better than you are, that you never miss it, you're never going to make, you're never going to make a mistake, you're just going to da-da-da-da-da, you know, you're just going to, you're going to be a liar. You're going to have to be a liar in the relationship. That you're somehow more together than you actually are. You know, everybody has a bad day. I don't know. I mean, you never grow out of that. Now, you might grow and you're the fruit of self-control, so you don't let it control you. But, you know, even then, everybody on the planet needs a safe place where they can just cry, where they can break down, where they can just say, you know what, I'm cranky. I don't feel good. I don't have a whole lot of faith right this minute. I mean, just, you know, I mean, because, you know, we don't have to fake it with Jesus. We don't have to act like we're something we're not. We just come how we are. And you, you, most of the time when we're like that, we know it's not right. But sometimes we just want to do it anyway. That's part of the problem too. But you know what? Jesus just lets, you know, he doesn't just, we just come just like we are. He didn't say, well, stop it. He didn't spout 50 scriptures to us. And, you know, he's a great listener. He empathizes and he just encourages in that place. He's like, you know, that's not who you are. He just speaks words of life. Doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. That's why he's an amazing friend. 
an amazing one of our soul. That's why Holy Spirit's called the comforter. Right? And that's why he's grieved when we're not like that with everybody else. He's, that's, that's, what, that's why he's grieved when we're not, we don't forgive the way we're forgiven. Or we don't, you know, minister mercy the way that we've been given mercy. Or if we are not understanding the way that we've been understood. You know, he wants so much for us to have with one another what he has with us. He wants that to be modeled. He wants our relationship with him to be modeled in our other relationships. So, I don't know. I'm just going to kind of wrap it up today. But I want us to start thinking about, you know, as we're going through keeping your love on and as we're just doing life in the context of relationships, in the context of, of different things that are going on, um, just to begin to think about this. How do we increase our safety? If we have areas in our life where we, we haven't forgiven, and I'll tell you how you know. If you can think of someone and it's not good thoughts, if you aren't thinking good thoughts about that person, there's a problem. If you bring them to your mind and you don't feel love towards that person or compassion towards that person or blessing towards that, I mean, if you let you if you let yourself actually feel, not have all the religious, oh, I bless those who curse me. No, let yourself feel. You know, so many times we hear harness those dang emotions. Well, yeah, harness them, but you got to feel them before you know something's off. I would much rather heal them than harness them. You know, I came up in Word of Faith where we just spoke to everything. Well, you know what? You still didn't feel any better. Or if it did, it just goes under the surface. The feeling leaves, but it doesn't leave. It hides. Because real freedom doesn't feel that way. Love just loves. It doesn't have to try. You're trying to love somebody. And I get it. People have done some lousy stuff. I get it. I get it. And it's not about what they did and what I did. It's just, it's a choice. I choose by an act of my will. It's a, it's a sentence. I choose by an act of my will because it's right. That's why I choose it. Not because I don't feel, not because of the way I feel. I choose it. You know, if it doesn't alleviate all of it, then you know what? There's probably some other things that are holding that pain in place and that, that, that feeling in place. And so you need to work through what actually happened. What actually happened? What did I believe about what happened? What did, what did I make it mean? What did I believe about myself? What did I believe? What lies did I believe? The Holy Spirit is more than happy to tell you what he believed. I know for me, I'm not so great at working through that by myself. That's why I believe, I'm a huge believer in Nathan Blouse. I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in facilitating in two hours what might take me two years. You know, I'm just a big believer in letting people that are anointed to do, I mean, you know, anointed to do what they're, I'm a, a big, I'm a big believer. I mean, if I'm going to get a real estate agent, I'm not going to, I'm going to go get the best one in town. If I'm going to go, what, you know, get what, I mean, I drive a Mercedes. I mean, I don't, I just, I like, shortcuts. I really am. I'm not the kind of driver I am. I want the shortest route. I mean, I just like shortcuts. I like the best. Okay, Father, anything else you want to share today? Well, here's what I know I've been doing, um, and I'm encouraging you just to do the same, is just, number one, um, I really believe that if you're a part of this body, if you're connected here, I know this is what God is doing. I know that this is the, the, what he's doing in our midst. That's Honestly, I also know not everybody wants to do this. Sometimes we have to go, we do have to go around the mountain again. Sometimes we have to go back around it again, and the pain has to become a little bit more intolerable. That's terrible, but it's true. We just let the, you, you, you're not quite there yet. What, the thing hasn't made a big enough mess in your life yet? It just hasn't. It hasn't made a big enough life, mess in your life. I'll tell you, it will. It absolutely will. 
prodigal always comes to the pigsty. Sin always pays its wages. Death always comes. It always manifests. Somehow, some way, somewhere, it will come. And so, you know, I believe that God is sending and will send to Prayer Mountain and will connect those who are hungry for this, hungry for wholeness, hungry for healing, hungry for the authentic, willing to do the work, willing to forgive, willing to look in the mirror, willing to say, um, I'm sorry. Because here's the deal, what he's going to produce out of this family. I know what he said. You know, I talked to someone today who has such a call of God on their life. And I was just kind of saying, hey, da-da-da-da-da, you know. And they were like, well, you know, I'm just not ready. God's told me I'm not ready. I'm just in this season, I'm not ready. And I thought, what an awesome young woman to recognize that and to be that obedient and that intimate with God and that that willing, you know. Because a lot of people aren't. Their brokenness, you know, I'll say this. I love when one of Nate's teaching, he brings in a carton of eggs. And he boils, I think he boils them. No, he didn't boil all the eggs. But he took the carton of eggs, and his whole training is called Humpty Dumpty Training, and it's awesome. And it's about how Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And he's talking about how everyone in the world is broken. And then he finished the poem, and he said, But then, Jesus, one day the king came walking by. And it's a beautiful poem. It's a beautiful poem how he finishes the story of Humpty Dumpty. But he did this training where he brought eggs in, and he said, everybody breaks different. You know, pain happens to everybody. Life happens to everybody. But not everybody breaks the same way. And not everybody develops the same coping strategies. Not everybody develops, I mean, honestly, our personalities, I mean, that's the thing that I've been noticing as I've been going through a lot of this stuff with me. My actual personality is changing. There's personality things that I thought were just my personality. No, they weren't personality. They were reactions to brokenness. They were ways of being that formed out of pain as a way of protecting my heart. So as those things start to get healed, you find even your personality is changing. I mean, you you find your desires, you find things just like, wow, like it's a real confusing season. It is a cocoon season in many ways. Because you're not what you used to be, but you're not what you're becoming, and you're just like a blob in the middle of this thing. And you're like, you know, I'm, you know, but... But praise God, I mean, God is doing something in that healing process. I remember the last intense season I went through personally was the year before I married Brian. And it's different in that I was doing a, a different ministry and I was going a weekend a month. I went a weekend a month for a whole year to this particular ministry. You know, I've talked about it before if you've heard me talk about it. But God was doing such intense work in that, preparing me to be a wife. Because really, the, the level of brokenness that I had up until that point, Brian would not have survived. <laughs> I mean, really. Others had tried and failed. Um, you know, so in God's mercy, in God's mercy, he led us, you know, led me through that as a protection for my husband. You know? And, um, you know, so God is, knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing, even in this body, the relationships. I mean, I'm so thankful for everyone that's connected to me. I'm so thankful for all of you. I'm so thankful that you've said yes to stick with it and to be in relationship with me and to see the gold like Sherry I, I get so emotional. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's beautiful. And it makes it safe for me. And it makes it safe for you. Because the safer I get, the safer everybody gets. Because <laughs> then I can, then I can actually replicate it, you know. And that's why Nate, you know, I mean, people can resent it or not. You know, everything Nate's doing, the Lord's doing for free. He hasn't charged us a dime, and he said, "I'm called. I'm called to you. I'm called to the call of God on your life. You know, I'm called to leaders." called to leaders of houses and movements. I'm called. He 
he's an awesome guy, you guys. I'm so thankful for him. Wow, so thankful. He's a divine connection. He is a very safe place. And um, if you need a boost in it, I encourage you to you know, do a session with that. Well, Father, I just thank you. I thank you for I thank you for Prayer Mountain. I thank you for these people, and I thank you for their hearts, and I thank you for what they're doing. And I thank you for teaching us to love. Thank you, Lord, for being patient. Thank you for um, never giving up. Thank you for taking on the hardest cases and having fun doing it. Thank you for being that kind of a guy. Thank you that you actually get excited when it's hard. Thank you that that's the ones you take the most pleasure in. That you, it's a challenge. You like a challenge. And I, I love that about you. I love that nobody's too hard. I love that nobody's too broken. I love that no situation is not transformable. I thank you that you make all things new. Every single thing you make new. Everything you make new. And that's just amazing. It's amazing that you're making new things out of trash. You're making beauty out of ashes, out of burnt things, out of, out of ugliness. You, that's the raw material. You actually use it. You take it. You look for it. If that's the raw material, you sin is the raw material of righteousness. Sin is the raw material of holiness. Sin is the raw material that you work with, and it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming to us, God. Wow, thank you. I thank you that you're the cure for the infection. And I thank you that you're pouring just massive revelation into people in this house. I know that you are. I know through their life experiences, from what they're going through, through what they've already experienced, what you're teaching them right now. Thank you, Lord, that you are pouring so much gold into people. And I know, Father, that that there are life-changing, life-changers, life-answers that these people are carrying. And I thank you for the responsibility and the assignment that you've even given us collectively to steward one another's hearts. Thank you that you've called us to love one another, that you've called us to practice right here in this room, whether it's five or ten or twenty. Father, you've called us to start right where we are, right in this little microcosm, right in this little goldfish bowl, right in the relationships that we have right now in our lives. I thank you that you're going to restore everything that's broken. Thank you that anything that's not right, you're already on the scene. You're already there. You're the EMT. You're already there, and you're already bringing it back to life. You're already working every heart that's connected to ours. Thank you, Father, that you are you are working out all things together for our good. Thank you that we are the the generation that walks in the greatest level of wholeness that the planet has ever seen. Thank you that the level of wholeness that our generation exhibits has never been seen on the earth. Thank you that this, we are the generation, Father, that is carrying this revelation like never before. Thank you, Jesus, that our children and our children's children and the generations that come behind us are going to pay the dividends of the work that we're doing. Thank you that there's fruit that's going to come through our loins, God, because of what we've been willing to do, because we know you. And you've made it easy by your grace. Not that it's always easy, but it's you that's doing the work. Thank you, Father, for changing our hearts and our our prayers, even. Lord, I just pray right now that even today you would just anoint whatever it is that everybody needs out of what they heard today or what they're experiencing. I just pray, Father, you would anoint them and you would touch that and that you would just continue to do what you're doing in every person's life. I bless what you're doing. I breathe on what you're doing by the power of the Holy Spirit and I say yes and amen to what you are doing in every heart in this room. 
part we, this house plays in this region, in, in the body in this region, God. Thank you that every house has a part, every part to play. And I thank you that you know where to put who, when, and how, and for what season. And uh, we just give you permission to have your way in that. And we release you, Holy Spirit, to align your body how it needs to be aligned. And we say yes to you, Regina. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I feel like we do have some homework this week. And it's just some forgiveness homework. All right, so let's just let's just see what needs to be. It's just do a little bit of heart check and, you know, scan your Facebook friend list. <laughs> or whatever, get out your family albums. <laughs> you know, just, just do a heart check, of, you know, and just see. You know? Ask the Holy Spirit to bring someone to remembrance.